everybody. My name is Axel Villamil and welcome to 24 Shades of Blue. I'm here with Lauren Pogue. She's staff superintendent of Toronto Police Service of Detective Operations. Lauren, welcome to the show. Hi, good morning, Axel. Thank you. Super exciting to have you in the studio today. Um, I read your bio and it is quite, quite extensive in terms of all the amazing milestones you've hit in your career. Can we talk a little bit about your journey uh, in the force? Sure. Yeah. So I, I started, I'm in my 34th year. So I started in 1988, um, right out of university, just wanting to drive a car because um, that's all I really knew about policing. And uh, I did a short um, time up at 31 Division and then uh, ended up in 12. And um, uh, 12 Division, sort of a west uh, area of the city. And um, uh, yeah, spent a bit of time learning, learning the frontline responsibilities. And, uh, I had no idea that there was so many opportunities, um, uh, obviously until my year, until my uh, career progressed. Um, so from 12 division, I ended up going into, um, uh, back then we had district drug squad. So I went into the one district drug squad working, um, sort of, uh, downtown core 14 division, 13, 11, and 12. And, um, yeah, we just focused predominantly on street level, drug trafficking and some mid-level uh, investigations as well. Um, and it was after a few years there that I had an opportunity to go to uh, a newly formed squad called the Fugitive Squad. And uh, um, there had been a number of, of high-profile cases where uh, people who had committed crimes in other jurisdictions had fled to Toronto. And um, Toronto, of course, is a very large city, very diverse city, and um, uh, it attracted a lot of people who were trying to uh, evade prosecution in other jurisdictions, whether it be overseas or from the United States. And uh, I worked in that unit for many, many years, actually, um, uh, just looking for, um, again, for fugitives and uh, parolees as well who um, who uh, were wanted and and whatnot. So niche, I never even realized that. I mean, now that I think about it, absolutely needs to be a squad that needs to be uh, formed because it sounds like a lot of people actually do that. So specific. yeah, and it was it was really um, it, it was a very interesting uh, time because I hadn't I'd always worked locally in partnerships, but this was uh, really involving like the U.S. Marshals, the the FBI, uh, the U.S. Department of Justice, and Interpol. So very very different nature of work. Um, you know, trying to uh, to investigate these things and then um, successfully return those uh, fugitives back to their country to face trial. Wow, you really have jumped around a lot. And then there's also something about intelligence services, and that is in coordination with um, with Fugitive Squad, or is that in its own thing? No, it's own? a it's a different unit. Got it. Yeah, amazing. So. Another amazing tidbit that I heard is that you're the first female unit commander in the Hold Up Squad. Can you tell us a little bit about Hold Up Squad? Yeah, so Hold Up Squad, uh, I was there um, for a few years uh, recently, and um, I'd come in on the heels of a sort of an infamous unit commander there, Mike Earl, who had been around forever, a notorious investigator. Um, and uh, it's an incredible unit. Um, they do everything other than street robberies. So they're investigating bank robberies, um, retail robberies. Uh, home invasions and uh, armored cars and whatnot. Um, and again, you know, some things occur in the city of Toronto, but it is another unit as well that relies heavily on our partnerships with um, particularly the greater Toronto area police services, because uh, um, a lot of times uh, crimes are committed across different jurisdictions. And uh, those partnerships and that communication and sharing of information is really integral to the success of, of solving those crimes, because you will get people who will... Um, uh, move from jurisdiction to jurisdiction to commit uh, similar crimes. So it's important that we connect them uh, to uh, to solve and arrest the people responsible. Wow. You, I'm just picturing in my head your career. You just look like this superhero 
going up the ranks and doing your thing and it, you already sound like a superstar so i want to talk about oh, superstardom no not a problem it sounds like you know it, it's not easy in any organization especially in, in the police force to keep doing what you're doing and then i think in, in your end you've accomplished so much uh, and one of the cool things as i say superstar is that you're one of America's most uh, wanted. Oh yeah, so <laughs> funny, funny. Back in the day in Fugitive Squad, um, and and I'm going to date myself now, Axel, because this is pre. Uh, this is like probably the time of dial-up internet. Uh, not everybody had a computer at home, and it was a big deal to um, to uh, tune into to America's Most Wanted on the Saturday night. So um, we had been um, running several days trying to track uh, somebody who was wanted in the U.S. for a pretty serious. Um, uh, uh, sexual assaults. And, uh, we had some, some good information. And so we were working very, very long hours trying to, uh, um, locate him. We were set up on an address. And, uh, um, the funny thing is I think we'd spent four or five days and we, uh, we hadn't seen him yet. And we'd worked very late the night before, went home and had to start early the next morning again. And, um, uh, you know, I jumped in the shower quick, but I'm like, uh, I don't think I'm going to wash my hair today. I'm just going to throw a baseball cap on. Yeah. And uh, we went out there. We were successful in in apprehending him. And right away, uh, a team uh, of um, uh, uh, producers, I guess, came right to see us and wanted to interview us to uh, feature that on the follow-up America's Most Wanted. Because Wait, producers just came out of nowhere and just like saw the apprehension. Well, no, no. What happened was we apprehended him. We we let the uh, the officers know in Got the U.S. It. that he was in custody, and yeah. then somehow the show found out. So it was almost immediate. Within a few hours, there was a team of people that wanted to film us and interview us on the capture. Oh my gosh! And uh, of course, they I had this baseball cap on that was sort of. You know, but that's in. That's like shade, the, well, I was kind of shading my face, and they're like, "Can you remove that hat?" And I'm like, yeah. "No, I yeah. don't think so." Like, <laughs> like the hair's not with not hair done. like this. No, <laughs> but uh, it was a big deal because my my family's all Northern Ontario, and you know, of course, everybody tuned in, and uh, I'm sure I have a copy of that on a VHS tape somewhere. So. Uh, need to see it because mm-hmm. that's huge. Yeah, I remember watching that, and it was such a big deal, like you said, on Saturday night to watch. Mm-hmm. So, how was the you know, apart from your family, but with your colleagues when they saw that? How was that uh, interactions? Yeah. No, it was, it was, uh, it was good. Everybody, uh, uh, a lot of people had seen it and were excited about it. That's super cool. Well, I can't wait mm. to watch it because I feel like you're playing it down and I feel like <laughs> you were really cool on it. So I want to go ahead and see that. Um, I do want to talk about one of the other parts of your job, which is actually working with the community of indigenous leaders. Uh, can you tell me about your work there and what you do? Yeah. So uh, shortly after I, I was first promoted to the senior officer ranks, I was invited to um, sit on our uh, Chief's Aboriginal Consultative Committee. So I helped co-chair that um, with another senior officer, Rob Johnson, and um, a very important member of the uh, Aboriginal or Indigenous community, Frances Sanderson, um, who has been volunteering her time with the Toronto Police Service for, I think it's over 25 years. Um, so she's another co-chair. Um, so we, we meet monthly and uh, it's um, uh, Indigenous uh, community partners throughout Toronto and some uh, people just volunteering their time where we discuss important issues and, and uh, how uh, we as the police service can help the Indigenous community, how we can kind of bridge that gap, um, you know, improve our relationship and, and develop that trust and confidence in the work that we do to support them. Amazing. How, how do you currently see the relationship right now? Is it getting better um, with, you know, things that you've been doing with the communities? I think it's 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 getting better. And I, I, one of the really important pieces of that is our Aboriginal peacekeeping unit. And a lot of people don't know that um, we've had a dedicated unit for uh, over 20 years. 
And um, we have officers who work there uh, full time. Uh, right now, there's currently two officers, but at one time there was there was more. And um, you know, their daily responsibilities is to to make those connections and and uh, work one on one with the community. That's amazing. I think it's super important because, especially with a lot of things going on and in, in the media, it's uh, great that we're talking about this on the podcast because people need to know that that does exist. Um, yes. And surprisingly enough, you know, as I was talking to. Meg, head of communications, TPS, I was telling me all these other roles that other people have for in terms of representing different identities throughout. So I think it's great that TPS has this um, and that you work with them. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of organizations that you work with, you know, yourself um, and that you'd like to mention on the show, could you talk about those as well? I mean, you already spoke about the ones with um, the Indigenous communities. but Yeah, you know. I, I, well, one other piece I wanted to mention about the Indigenous community is... Um, uh, is the training that they they helped us with as well. So one of the things we're looking at as a police service is, is obviously always looking at our policies and procedures and mm-hmm. ensuring that they're aligned with uh, with current practices. And um, so we uh, we were looking at training and how we can ensure that all our members have a, a real um, uh, uh, sort of foundation on on what some of the issues are over the years and what what adversity the indigenous community has faced. So they uh, they put together a presentation that um, unfortunately was currently on hold as of last year, but this mm-hmm. coming year we all uh, have to go to our police college for a um, annual training, which includes use of force, but also in class training. So there's an indigenous model, or sorry, module mm-hmm. now that um, our officers will be introduced to, and it it, it just talks about historically, um, you know, all the different things that have gone on. Uh, of course, the residential school. Um, uh, uh, issues are at the forefront. Um, the '60s scoop, um, mm-hmm. just a lot of a lot of the things that they may encounter, um, items of religious significance that we may encounter in the community, and how to deal with that. And how about and traditions? Whatnot. Do so, they do they learn about traditions? Traditions as well? as well. Yes. Got it. Yeah. Or I said, I feel like that's so huge to understand. You know, the way people act because of you know, one historically things that have happened. At the same time, also better understanding the communities and a whole helps them better deal with them and, and communicate easier. So for sure, we've got medicine there, you know, there's medicines and uh, the, of course, smudging and whatnot. And um, the other piece of that is we've uh, recently hired an indigenous engagement specialist as well. I'd sat on the uh, hiring process for that. And uh, we have um, Fred Martin with us and he's really uh, looking at everything in our organization as well and how we can uh, continue to be better. That's amazing. Is there, is there anything you would say to any viewers right now or listeners uh, out there about where they can provide, get resources to if they are Indigenous uh, and they can speak to people and, you know, get those those help, that help from uh, other officers? Yes, certainly our Aboriginal Peacekeeping Unit, which is actually located at headquarters. Um, oh, right beside it. Yeah, uh, so they're, they're, that's actually a um, um, uh, community organization beside it, but our uh, Aboriginal Peacekeeping Unit is actually within headquarters on the main floor and uh, they can be contacted. Their numbers are on our, um, our internet, our uh, outward facing page as well. Okay. Amazing. And then, you know, I kind of want to get into yourself as well in terms of uh, your mother as well. Uh, And, you know, I think it sounds like you've had a very, very busy career. Um, Did any of the work that you do, especially working with, you know, fugitive squad and hold up squad that was, I guess, took a toll on you in terms of like, Mentally, how did you deal with it? How did you balance it out when you came home? Were you the type to leave it at home or leave it at work? Or is there times where it did affect you? I think I'm pretty good at leaving at work. I mean, the the nature of of, of the units that I've worked in, they're, they're not really uh, like a Monday to Friday day 
type uh, job, you know, so there's a lot of uh, changing of shifts, lots of long hours, um, lots of phone calls, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and that's important to ensure that we're addressing public safety as things are unfolding and, and we're dealing with that. Um, but uh, I think one of the biggest things I had is a very um, supportive partner. Uh, my husband, obviously, um, you know, understands and, and, and knows how much I enjoy this work and has always been very, very supportive. Um, so together we've managed to, uh, to navigate, uh, you know, our, our, the young years. My youngest is actually 20 today. So oh, wow. um, now they don't need me anymore. So happy can, birthday. Yeah. <laughs> so I can focus, uh, focus on work again a little more. Of course. I mean, it's <laughs> 20 is a very fun time. That's the start of, you know, everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think back to talking about your partner, you know, that is one of the most key things. I mean, I've noticed in my career as well is that if you having a supportive partner and a supportive unit with you, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's so important to help you, you know, achieve your dreams and your goals. It's understanding. And I think mm-hmm. that's one of the things that's, that's really good. Um, in terms of your own colleagues too, how were they, um, as you worked with so many different, you know, people in the force, how was it to uh, work with such a diverse group of people? Because it sounds like everybody had different professions. Yeah, no, it's it's been incredible. I mean, it, you you spend a lot of time in policing with with your partners, so it, it it's uh, you know it, it leads to some real uh, very very close knit teams, right? And and we all do help each other through uh, through through those times when we with the with the long hours that we're putting in. And yeah, absolutely. In 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 the thirty four years, how have you seen you know, TPS grow in terms of, um, I guess, back to a lot of the work that you do with the um, Indigenous communities. How have you seen it grow from before and what it is now? Yeah, definitely. I, I think the biggest thing I've noticed is um, certainly the development on, in our partnerships with with everyone. Like, there isn't a unit that I've been in where, you know, partnerships haven't been integral to our success. Um, you know, sometimes it's at the local uh, air. Like I just came from 53 division um, and 13 division. And uh, so it was the first time where I wasn't sort of dealing with more international or multi-jurisdictional partnerships. It was real grassroots. You know, the residents in that community um, are, you know, the BIAs, the the local city councillors and whatnot. And uh, so I, I think we, you know, we really, really rely heavily on those partnerships because together is is how we accomplish our goals. Absolutely. If if there's one thing, you know, to close us up in that, why you, you know, you've been in this industry so long, what is the thing that's, what's your why here? You know, what what is your why? I don't want to be sound corny, but it really is about public service, right? You know, I, I, I serving the community um, that, uh, that uh, we work hard for it and then trying to address, you know, quality of life issues and, and public safety issues. I think that's, that's really, really important. That's amazing. It must uh, must be something good to take home. If there's anything that you take home from that, it's feeling good about the public service that you do. No, for sure. And and I, you know, I, I um, uh, in the role I'm in now as well, and and previously as a unit commander at at um, uh, in Midtown, you know, I think it's important to highlight the hard work that our members are doing. You know, they're they're um, people are frequently reaching out to to acknowledge the incredible work, the compassion our our members show, and. Uh, you know, an, an example of a community um, initiative is, uh, which really kind of struck me yesterday when I watched a video about it was um, uh, one of our officers had come up with an initiative to um, provide bikes for the community um, wow. during the lockdown because it was so important to people's mental health, to exercising, to getting out during uh, the pandemic. And uh, so there's been several days now where um, they've, uh, they've collected bikes, they've, they've partnered with um, uh, the Gateway, the Bike Hub. 
um, where the bikes are repaired and fixed, and then they size them and, and give them to residents in the community. And uh, I had heard a story yesterday about a young man who was uh, fairly new to Canada, was gifted one of those bikes and, and it ended up becoming a food delivery person and put himself through college you know, with, with that bicycle. So I think, you know, that sort of that whole community piece is, is really important and acknowledging the, the work that our members do. It's the little things, you know, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, um, it's, it really is. And if um, something like that can change somebody's life, you know, mm-hmm. what do we know? What else we do, especially with the little things that your teams help out with uh, every day. So that's, that's amazing to know. I'm sure that it does really kick back and, and make you feel proud of yeah, the really journey. Does. That's awesome. Well, Lauren, I want to thank you for your time here. Um, and if there's anything you'd like to say to your colleagues or to the rest of the listeners out there, is there any piece of advice you can give them? No, just uh, thanks for having me today. And um, yeah, amazing. Be here. All right. My name is Axel Villamil and those 24 Shades of Blue. We're out.